What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to episode four of The Takeover. I'm Sam Ringgold. I'm Rowan Kent. Right, Flattery. And today we got a lot of things to discuss before this uh, winter break that we're about to go home for. So let's dive right into the NFL, guys. It's a Sunday. Why not? Exactly. So in terms of the playoffs, we're almost there. It's been a fun season. I've had a great time watching a lot of games. You know, Minshew Mania, he's nowhere close to the playoffs, but just little stories like that have been really fun. I think AFC-wise, Baltimore is as close to as locked up that seed as long as they stay the course, so I, I really don't see them giving up the number one seed. The team that I do see giving up a top two seed is the Patriots. Yeah. I know that they're traditionally great at home. I know that of course, they have this decades-long playoff streak, which they won't give up, but I think they're going to lose Week 16 to Buffalo, and that's going to drop them below the Chiefs, who will win out, and put New England as the third seed. Really? Yeah. Does, does Buffalo win that division? No. Buffalo would be the fifth seed, based right. on tiebreakers, but because Kansas City and New England, I believe, would have the same record. Casey would have the Yeah, it would drop them down and give Baltimore and Kansas City first-round buys. Yeah, I don't think that game matters because I think home or away, Kansas City beats New England in the playoffs to get out of the conference finals to play the Ravens. Yeah, I agree with that. I just don't see how the Patriots are going to lose that division, though. I get everyone's like kind of concerned about their offense, but... I don't see it happening, and I can't bet against them. I think the only way they don't make the playoffs is if, if Goodell suspends them for cheating and bans them from the postseason, which I honestly think that that should be a topic of conversation because they've cheated so many times over the years, and all they've got, they've just gotten, like, you know, pinched a little bit here and there, but I don't know. It just Why are you cheating against the Bengals? If you're cheating against the Bengals, why wouldn't – then you're probably cheating against everyone else too, right? Like, it's the Bengals. They're the worst team in football, so I don't know. Um, I think the Titans win the South, actually. Tannehill, got him in, starting him in both my fantasy leagues this week. <laughs> they have two games against Houston, the Titans do, and I think uh, the Titans are going to win both of them. Titans are playing really well. Derrick Henry is a mean runner. If you watch him, he is mean. And I think Houston ends up getting the wild card and losing the first round, as they you know typically do under the Bill O'Brien era. Um, Buffalo's going to get the other wild card. Good for the Buffalo Bills. Shout out Colin Case. Your team's going to the playoffs. <laughs> uh, if you're listening, Case, good. Um, that's what I got in the, in the AFC. <clears throat> I think the interesting thing there is I also have Tennessee winning out, which includes them winning at, or it includes the Saints coming and losing to Tennessee within that. Ooh. But based on the Patriots and my hypothetical falling to number three, they'd have to play the Texans. And that is not a matchup that they would really like. And so, I don't know, do you think the Texans could do it again? What do you guys think? Um, I think if the Texans played that game at home, they could. But the Texans are such an up and down team. Somehow they got destroyed by rookie quarterback Drew Locke. I don't trust yeah. their secondary. I just, they're such a difficult team to predict, and their, their season has been so up and down, so it's really hard for me to say. I think they have a much better shot at home. I don't see them going into New England and doing it. Uh, yeah, I guess I'd have to disagree, just because Patriots this entire season have not beaten a good team besides beating the Bills on the road. And, uh, so, 
I would still give the Texans the edge in the playoffs, even on the road. Hmm. Do you guys want to dive into the uh, NFC playoff predictions? I'd love to, and I'm sure mine are a little homer-ish, as yours probably will be <laughs> as well, Ringo. No, but the Eagles are winning out, for sure. I have the Eagles winning out, too. They don't exactly face a, a murder's row, yeah. and like Dallas yeah. has shown themselves to truly be inept on the coaching side. They have a lot of talent, but they have just not been able to extract it against anything but bad teams this year. Yeah, it's a really terrible division, and a lot of people think that a team shouldn't even go. And it's going to be funny when, like, you know, a 12-4 and San Francisco or Seattle comes to Philly to play a, a wild card game, and Philly's going to win that game. Uh, <laughs> oh, I mean, it's okay. you guys remember Beast Quake, you know. The Saints yeah. went into that game, a young... Uh, Young Seattle team took him down with that epic Marshawn Lynch run. Everyone remembers that. So I think the Eagles are going to win. I Here's the thing. Here's the difference between the Philly and Dallas. First of all, that game between Philly and Dallas is in Philly. It's tough to play in the link, and that's going to be a playoff atmosphere. The Cowboys know that they're co- they're not playing for Jason Garrett. That coach, he's gone. There's, is, there, right? is there any way he's the, the Cowboys coach next year? They had all these yeah. Super Bowl expectations. Because Jerry Jones loves having someone to push the blame off, I really think that if he – wanted a Super Bowl, he would have made a lot of other decisions, but he kind of likes having Garrett there to be his punching bag. If it goes right, he can talk about how him or Steven Jones' son made the good moves. If it goes wrong, he can beat up on Garrett. So I don't think it's for sure that Garrett's gone. I think there's a good chance he's gone, and I get what you're saying, that he's the scapegoat, but I don't know. Jerry Jones, I was listening to a radio interview, and he that whole organization is kind of a mess right now. They, they think... Uh, they really, I just don't think that they want to play for that guy, and, and I think he's gone, and I, I don't know, Doug Peterson's obviously not getting fired, so I don't know, I've seen the Eagles do this two years now in a row, where they put, put it together late in the season, and, and you know, go on a nice little run, we saw it with Nick two years and last year, and I don't know, I just, I see that happening again, and I see, see us getting in. Um, I just, I guess you mentioned them beating either San Francisco or Seattle, who on that roster gives you any good faith that you would be able to match the offensive like firepower of either team. You're down to about two <laughs> healthy wide receivers. You have Miles Sanders and who's Boston Scott? Boston he's, Scott. He's a legend. Did you see him juke out Janoris Jenkins? I saw him play well. Yeah. Janoris Jenkins <laughs> juked himself out of the league based <laughs> yeah, on his comments. Oh, yeah, and true. so I think anyone could have, but I the thing about that Seattle team was they were not amazing, of course, but they had a transcendental talent like Lynch. I don't see that on the Eagles roster at all. Oh, I agree. No, is Seattle. Seattle would be the team to beat us. I think San Francisco. That's a team. Is a team that's young and doesn't have playoff experience, and I could see them choking that away, especially a West Coast team playing in the East Coast in an unfamiliar environment. That happens more commonly than you think. Um, Seattle's the fearless. Bears last year. Yeah, exactly. Seattle. Yeah. Seattle's fearless. I don't think that Seattle would. Um, I don't think that Seattle would lose to Philly. Uh, Seattle is good in that regard, but I don't know. I think either LA or Minnesota or San Francisco we'd have a, a shot to beat. Um, you guys want to move to the NFC North? It's an interesting division. Yeah. I'm the Packers. Same. I think that the Vikings face a little too much like of their own issues to get over it, given it, it's not just about them winning out. Even if they win out, they don't get it over the Packers. Yeah. And so it's mm-hmm. going to take... I mean, the Packers play them once. Otherwise, Packers match up against. I just. Yeah, they play like the Giants. Or... Packers play. No, they play the Bears and they play oh, the, Lions. the Lions and they play the Vikings. I yeah. mean, as our resident Lions fan who's wearing his hoodie right now, flat, do you think there's any chance in that Week 17 game? No. no. <laughs> David Blau is our quarterback. Yeah, David Blau. 
Uh, no, I, I think that the Packers win that division, and I think Minnesota misses the playoffs altogether. Really? I think, I think so. I'm pretty sure that the game, uh, the Minnesota uh, uh, Green Bay game, is on a Monday night, so that's a primetime game that you know Kirk Cousins is going to lose. Uh, I think they lose that game, and I think they lose to the Bears, too. The Bears are playing better football. That defense is playing a lot better, um, and Mitch, they found a way to kind of hide Mitch Trubisky. I think that when it comes down to it, Kirk Cousins is not clutch, and he's going to end up losing that wild card spot, and L.A. is going to get it over uh, the Vikings. I mean, Trubisky didn't really hide when he had four total touchdowns. Oh, yeah, I mean, he had a, so. good, game against, he had a good game against Dallas. That's true. Yeah. But, I mean, he's not lighting it up per se you know I just think that that team is you know they're playing a little better um and then yeah I think San Francisco is gonna win the west uh, sorry Rowan um San Francisco first of all that team reminds me a lot of the 2017 Eagles and I hate to like draw parallels all the time but that team it, they're both teams that have young had young quarterbacks at the helm an offensive minded head coach who kind of took the league by storm uh, a team that wasn't necessarily predicted to do well going from worst to first uh with a ton of running back firepower. The Eagles led the league in rushing that year. San Francisco is an amazing rushing team with their committee. Um, I just think that that offense is going to be too much. And I don't know, the way I saw Seattle play against LA the other day just didn't encourage me that much. Um, I think San Francisco wins that game and ends up winning that division. Uh, I do think that they won the division as well. But I see them more as like a 2017 Rams sort of team where they had a breakout year, but might lose their first playoff game just due to an experience like that 2017 Rams team did. And then maybe next year make a run at a Super Bowl. But yeah, still got the 49ers winning the division. I don't. I think the Seahawks, for one, they play Arizona and Carolina. I think they'll be able to win those. San Francisco's two games, I also think, which leaves them at Seattle for a Week 17 game. I think the underrated part of the 49ers is they've clearly been a better team than Seattle all season, but it's not always about how good you're playing, it's sometimes about how healthy you're playing. And guys like Richard Sherman might be out for the rest of the regular season with a hamstring injury, their nose tackle just went on to injured reserve, so he is done. Jones, I believe. Kittle isn't 100% healthy. He had his amazing play, which truly was one of the more men against boys type plays that you see in the NFL. That was sick. If you had guys jumping on him while his face mask was being tugged as he was winning the game single-handedly because a lot of people were saying that was Garoppolo's drive. That wasn't at all. Garoppolo missed on two throws. Kittle then on a fourth and two does what he does best, finds space, and then just manhandled that entire secondary to give them a chance. But he's not completely healthy. He has a broken bone in his ankle. And I just haven't, and Weston Richburg, their center, is now out for the year too with a patellar injury. So I think they're seeing their injuries at the wrong time of the year, which doesn't inspire a lot of hope for a long playoff. Hey, no, that's, that's what they said about Philly in 2017, another parallel. <laughs> You're right, hungry dogs run, run faster. Uh, I wanna talk really quickly about Lamar Jackson. Okay. Um, if you guys would be down to do that. Yeah. Uh, so I think what, like, Lamar Jackson, I mean, I said yesterday to Rowan that I think he's the best running quarterback of all time. I think he's already better than Mike Vick. Yeah. And I, I say that not only because he broke the record, but I just think he's a better runner. I think he's a smarter runner. If you look at the way he reads the defense, like, he every run he goes for, I feel like, is you know, 10 yards, 5, 10 yards, 15 yards. 
he's really good at reading the defense. He gets uh, a lot of zone coverage played against him because they don't want to play man because if they turn their backs to him, he's just going to take off running. So now they're playing a lot of zone, and I think that has made him a much better passer because he's able to he's getting an easier read on the zone. Um, so I think that it's a really unique combination that we really haven't seen because I think he's a much better runner than Mike Vick, and that's and the fact that he's a good runner has made him a good passer. Everyone's saying like, oh, this is the modern type of offense in the NFL. No, I don't. I think this is different. I don't think that this is the modern type of offense. I think that what the Chiefs did with Mahomes last year, that's where the NFL is heading to. I think Lamar Jackson is just on a whole different level that the NFL hasn't seen, and I think it creates a ton of matchup problems for everyone, as we've seen throughout the year. And I think he's your MVP. Yeah. Does that team get to the Super Bowl? I think so. Yeah, 100%. I think my, my Super Bowl prediction is Niners Ravens. It's a rematch of forty-seven when the when the Harbaugh's were going out. Yeah, the Harbaugh. I think I think that it's going to be that matchup again this year, and I think those are the two best teams. And we've seen in recent years that the one seed has typically gotten to the Super Bowl, um, and I think that's going to happen again. I'd say the biggest threats for Ravens because I I would put them there as well. I think they've earned it. Would be Kansas City. I think that any time you play a guy like Mahomes, you run the risk of him deciding to flex his immense quarterback talents and simply shred whatever defensive coverage you have. I also think the Titans, for as much as they are led by Ryan Tannehill, Ryan Tannehill's done enough interesting things. They're a well-coached team, which is surprising because Vrabel is young in terms of like his coaching years, but they have a very good dual threat offense, and their defense plays well. Where if there if there's ever a team that comes out flat in the playoffs against the Titans, they could run into an upset that would leave them very disappointed. They were up fourteen nothing against the Patriots in the divisional round two years ago, but they ended up losing that game. Remember that was the year that they beat Buffalo ten to three in a in a crazy divisional playoff game with Buffalo. I'm saying that sarcastically of course. Yeah, uh they beat I Kansas City. What'd you say? They beat Kansas City with an Alex Smith Alex Smith that was, last year. That was um, was that that year? Yeah, I think you're mistaking. Oh, no, that was Jacksonville. Buffalo yeah. Jacksonville. Oh, you're right, you're right, you're right. Yeah. I am. Wow, why I don't, so many AFC <laughs> South teams in the playoffs? They're quite forgettable games. I mean, we're not <laughs> going to fault you on these. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right, actually. They beat, that's right, they came back. It was like 21-3, to and they came back yeah. and won that game or something. Yeah, you're right, and then they end up losing. But what do you guys think happens to Marcus Mariota? Uh, he's on a different team next year. I yeah. Think. <laughs> Are they going to give Tannehill a four-year contract? No. I, I think they'll give him like three and seventy. Like a Blake Bortles esque deal? No. They'll give him a. Oh, just got a deal like this. It, it's not like a Kirk Cousins, but it'll be a step down. Like in terms. It's not going to be guaranteed, but. I hope no one ever gets a Kirk Cousins deal like that unless like you're really good because Kirk Cousins does not deserve that money. <laughs> but That's fair. All right. Uh, yeah. Should we transition uh, into some college basketball? Yeah, I mean, it was finally enough of the season has been played that we can talk about it. Early in the season, it comes at like Thanksgiving time. Some of the early games don't always matter, but there is an interesting trend of the number one teams losing to teams they probably shouldn't, and probably is very understated considering ones like Evansville or Stephen F. Austin. So what have you guys thought in general about the kind of craziness of this season? Well, it's easy to say this now, but I don't know, I was talking to Ron about this. I think that there's no clear-cut 
you know, elite group of teams. I feel like in the past we have a group of, a tier of teams that is really good that you know is going to go really far. You know, last year is you have Duke and Michigan State just destroying everyone. Michigan for a while last year was really good. We started off undefeated. I don't know if we have that this year. I feel like the playing field is much more balanced and it's difficult to say which team or teams in particular are really at that tier. You know, you, Maryland looks really good, but I don't know. A lot of teams are are losing. Are there any undefeated teams that are in the top 10? I don't think so. I think everyone has lost a game now. Um, I think. I just don't see it as any elite. I don't see any particular tier of teams that's really good. So I don't know. It'll be. It'll make for an interesting season. But yeah, there. Yeah, there isn't one clear-cut team, and I think every conference, every big conference at least, is just so tough that they're gonna beat up on each other. Yeah. Ten, for example, like Michigan went on the road against a tough Illinois team and lost, and that's gonna happen all year. I think the Big Ten conference winner might have. Um, six, seven losses, every six, seven conference loss, losses. It's, oh, easily, yeah. Yeah, maybe with like a 12 and 8, 13 and 17 might win the Big Ten, which isn't going to be good for March Madness rankings-wise, but it's going to cause a lot of parity at least. Yeah, I think an interesting through line, because I was curious on games like Kentucky-Evansville, three-point game, Duke-Stephen F. Austin, two-point game obviously on a game-winning layup, Louisville, Texas Tech was a much bigger spread. There's a pretty consistent line, which also speaks a bit to a rule change in college basketball of them pushing the three-point line back. Kentucky shot four of 17 from three in their loss. Duke shot five of 15 from three. And Louisville shot three of 17 from three. A lot of good teams rely on the three ball. And just like how in the NBA, there are a lot more comebacks from 15-plus points because of how quickly you can swing with big offensive outbursts. Either one team gets cold or the other gets hot. That's what's kind of happened. I think that the Kentucky team, that's probably the worst loss, I'd say, given Evansville was so poor the yeah. year before. And the reason they lost, besides the three, is their two best guards in Ashton Hagens and Tyrese Maxey shot six of 20. Whenever that happens, you're top guys. You're not going to win many games. I think the Duke one is a weirder game because Duke had 23 more free throw attempts than Stephen F. Austin. <laughs> they had 22 turnovers, which is what probably lost them the game. But Stephen F. Austin had 64 of their 85 points scored in the paint, which is kind of interesting when Duke has a seven-footer and Vernon Carey. Yeah. Like, what's Carey doing in there if if he's not guarding the rim? It makes me a little more suspicious of him going forward as, like, a pro prospect. Because if you're going to let Stephen F. Austin hammer you over and over, it's not good. The Louisville game is a real weird one, considering Texas Tech's best player didn't play. Jamius Ramsey is their best sort of guard. He's a good shooter. He was out with a knee injury. Their best player was 2 of 10 from three and had a bunch of free throws. I think Louisville's problem, and they're a little overrated as their backcourt. I mean, can either of you like name anyone on that Louisville team first off? No. No. They they play as a team. Jordan Wara is probably the best player. He'll get some looks, but otherwise their backcourt really is gonna be what hurts them because you know, a team like Michigan, to segue towards that, our backcourt has been our strength this year. I think that's pretty clear. Um, Xavier Simpson is the stabilizing presence. 
I did not expect Eli Brooks or David DeJulius. I don't know if either of you saw it coming. Oh, I didn't. Not at all. Yeah. Yeah, Brooks took a really nice step forward this year. Yeah, they both did. And Livers really needs to step into that alpha role, I think, for this team to take the next level. And we can't have games like Xavier had yesterday versus Oregon for us to win. He That was probably his worst game in his career at Michigan. And, but this team has a lot of potential, I think. Does this team have a closer? I would say it would have to be... Isaiah? It would have to be Livers, right? Because Teske doesn't create enough of his own offense. Xavier... They gave it to Xavier to close yesterday, which I thought was a mistake. Yeah, I, I was thinking about this. I, I just... I don't know if this team has a closer, and I, I think Livers is probably the best guy to step into that role. Um, but he is not a huge shot creator either. Right, that's the thing. That, like, who, who's closing up this Ron team? Ron Wagner has the potential to be that guy. Oh, certainly. Still he's true shot really badly this yeah. season. He's Maybe like just, 36%, 21 from three. Yeah, yeah yesterday was a breakout game, 21 points, 46 from three. But. He gets to the line. I, I was at the Iowa game. He got to the line at will, which was really nice given his size, but he, he's not there yet. No, yeah, he's a young guy and has ways to go, but he has the potential to be that guy. Yeah. I, I agree with you. Um, I just think the team needs to find a closer. Um, yeah. And I don't know. I don't know who it's going to be. My worry with this team is they play about six and a half guys in the rotation. So you have the starters of, or even let's just say the top six guys of Xavier Simpson, Eli Brooks, David DeJulius, Franz Wagner, whatever it is. Um, Teske. Yeah, John Teske and Isaiah Livers. The next two guys of Castleton and Johns, so far not proven to be like contributors. Johns is playing really well. Johns, yeah. has, Johns but I, I, he doesn't do enough to like warrant like more than 15 minutes a game. I'd say. I think after the last two games, I think he has done enough to kind of grab that backup center position even over Castleton. And if he does, that still leaves Michigan with about seven guys. Yeah. Eventually, that's going to wear down just based that's on what happened last year athleticism, too. Yeah. all of that. And I don't think there are any particularly deep teams. Otherwise, there's no 2015 Kentucky that could platoon in NBA guys. And fun fact, kept Devin Booker on the on bench. bench yeah. severely limited a scoring chance. Oh, tw- 2015 Kentucky, the team that was de- guaranteed Rose. to win the national title? They should have. Yeah, they definitely should have. Yeah, that team was the most talented we'll see of the decade. But I think the problem with Michigan will be matching up later in the season with the OSU or the MSU teams, those that keep up their athleticism and have just more shot creators. Because as you're saying, the problem of not having a closer is the problem of not having a guy who can create offense for right. himself. Right. Yeah, um, it'll be interesting. Should we move into some college football takes? Yeah, the playoffs finally decided. No huge surprises. I wasn't surprised. I don't think any of us thought Georgia deserved it over Oklahoma or Oregon didn't. Utah might have had the best argument if they didn't lay a complete egg against Oregon. If they had blown out Oregon, there might have been one. But... They left it pretty easy for the committee this year. <laughs> I just think the quality of Pac-12 football is so bad. I, I don't know why. Like, Oregon and Utah are way overrated. The te- they really haven't played anybody difficult besides each other. And I don't know. I just, I'm so happy that there's no Pac-12 teams in the college football playoffs <laughs> because the, the, qual- the quality of team in that, in that conference is so bad. Um, but, yeah, let's get right into it. Uh, I got LSU over Oklahoma in the uh, 
in the first first game. I just don't see how Oklahoma is stopping Joe Burrow. I think he's too good. Yeah, same. Yeah, I I would be shocked if Oklahoma really has any chance. Their defense is too bad. I could see LSU easily. I could see that being such a shootout, but I still think LSU is going to probably win by a good amount. Um, I could see them putting up, you know, 45, 50 points on Oklahoma's defense. Yeah, Oklahoma's defense isn't the usual revolving door that it used to be. That defense used to be one of the worst in terms oh, of any yeah. contender. It's up to 50th in opponent's points per game, which isn't bad. It's better than I thought. But LSU only gives up about 120 rush yards a game. So Hertz is going to probably get his dual threatness taken out a little bit. I don't see Oklahoma having much of a chance either. It, it's a, it falls on LSU. If LSU plays poorly, then they probably will lose, but that's what you can say about any team mm -hmm. that is favored. Ohio State and Clemson is the much more interesting game. I, mean, I want to hear what you guys think for this one before I get into what I think. Yeah, um, I agree with you that it's more interesting. I think that Ohio State ends up winning. Maybe it's because I'm biased and I've seen them just destroy teams in, in their path, but um, I don't know. Clemson, I feel like we haven't heard as much about Clemson this year as we have in previous years. And maybe that speaks to the fact that they're just not as explosive as they were, you know, a couple years ago or last year or whatever. Um, I think Ohio State ends up winning that game. Um, the way Justin Fields has been playing, I, I think, kind of will propel them over the top. Uh, I don't. Do you guys think any of those players will sit out? Not, not in the playoffs. Not right? in the playoffs. No. No. Chase Young said he's coming back next year. That, really? I, yeah, yeah, he, he that? said that publicly. Why? Why would he do that? Well, I think he's probably doing the the maneuver that certain players do. Tim Duncan might, you could argue, might have done that. You want to fall to a certain team, and maybe you don't want to go to, say, the Washington, New York, Giants, New York. The Washington Redskins. Yeah. There, there's some teams that, if you have a little bit of choice, you may not want to go play for. But that I was surprised oh. that he said that. I think Clemson's going to win that game. I think what's important is Clemson is a very good rush defense, and Dobbins is a huge part of Ohio State's offense. Mm -hmm. He's been unstoppable this year. Yeah, no, no one's stopping him. If they slow him down, I don't think they'll stop him. I think yeah. he'll get over 100 yards, but it's the difference between him getting you know, 100 yards on 20 carries compared to 25 carries and like three touchdowns and all the great stuff he's done. I think we should be a little bit more worried about Fields' knee injury. I know that he came back and he threw a touchdown. The Michigan game? Yeah. Yeah. The last game he played, he had to leave with a knee injury. And regardless of whether it was a sprain, a contusion, even if it's a low-level injury, he still could have the after effects, and his mobility is a large part of his success. Clemson is a very underrated team, which is why I think they'll win, and... Trevor Lawrence, who had a pretty forgettable September, he, he looked like a sophomore slump candidate. He's been perfect from November till now in yeah. terms of throwing touchdown to interceptions, and he's topping 70% on his completions. He's coming in very dangerous with a well-known cast of offensive stars like Etienne, like T. Higgins, mm -hmm. Justin Ross. These are guys who are really good that we've kind of, as like a college football community, forgot a little bit about how good these guys are. I feel like we haven't neglected Clemson a little bit this year. They just haven't played anybody close to the caliber of OSU. Yeah. It's just so hard to pick them when they haven't. Like, 
just have no idea. So you, I would go with a team in Ohio State who has played some quality opponents, and I think Ohio State has a good chance of beating LSU in the finals as well. And I think even though it's like the first game of the 2020s, could be the game of the 2020s. Like that's how good these two teams are. Two undefeated teams. Yeah. I I agree with Flat. Um, I I just yeah I think Ohio State's gonna win, and they haven't just played good quality teams. They've kind of rolled good quality teams. They, you know, they pretty handedly beat Penn State at, at Penn State. They beat Michigan. Uh, they came back against Wisconsin to end up beating them pretty, you know, assuredly. So I don't know. I agree with Flat that that game could, you know, set up to be a huge game. Um, I'm taking LSU over Ohio State though. I'm gonna give the to LSU. Honestly. Mm-hmm. Rowan? I think if LSU gets to the final, which they should, and they play Ohio State, Burrow's going to be very motivated. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a team where he rode the bench. They gave up until, on him. Yeah, they, until Coach O handed him the keys, as he said in his Heisman speech. It'll be one of those games, return games are some of my favorite sports, mm-hmm. where a guy goes back, even if he's the one who requested out, it's so, so fun to see the focus the guys bring to coming back, and I, I think Burrow would shred them. Really? You think he has that vendetta against OSU? I do. <laughs> I think there, he's like a very polite person. He's a fun quarterback. There's not a lot to nitpick with him. Probably the biggest thing you could is that he didn't make you know, OSU. He didn't enter that throne, and I think he is the kind of guy who's going to make that his mission. Yeah. And go do it. But I think LSU is going to lose to Clemson. Ooh. I think, wow. as we've touched on, Clemson is being forgotten. This is a team that has beat Bama twice in the final. And when you do that, you earn the respect and you earn the sort of deserved idea of how good you are. And this team is not much worse than last year which ran Alabama. And so I think that Lawrence is back in the way that he needs to be. I think that he is going to come out and he'll just be able to slant to a lot of guys, depending on who's there to catch the open pass. It'll be a shootout. I think it'll be one of the better games, as you're saying, yeah. of the decade. It'll start out really nicely. But, I, I, yeah, I have Clemson in uh, like a 49-42 type game. Just oh, no wow. defense being played. I mean, LSU isn't a hugely great defensive yeah. team. But, yeah, that's where I would have it. Yeah, that makes sense. What about the Citrus Bowl? you think Michigan has a chance? No. No chance. Yeah, no. me neither. It's just like Jerry Judy said he's playing, and there's no their receivers are so good. And we saw OSU receivers tor- did the torch us, and – that's going to be more of the same in that game. And it really sucks that we got stuck playing Alabama, even with a backup quarterback. Yeah, I, I don't have a huge amount of hope either. Yeah, and just the narratives. If we do win, we beat one of the worst Alabama teams of the decade, and they had a backup quarterback. If we lose, we, we lost, lost to the team. <laughs> yeah, so, and it's just not going to be good for recruiting. Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't see a huge amount. I think a more interesting topic that I think we're pretty split on, actually, is the eight-team playoff. Mm. I don't think it's necessary. I think this year has shown how nicely it usually shakes out. 
I know there have been some years where it's about the four and the five yeah. that are the deciding factor. And other than when Ohio State won as the four, I believe in 2015, there haven't been many like worthy reasons that the five should have gone in, oh, they were going to run the table or this mm -hmm. or that. I also don't think the games we would be getting are ones that would like dramatically change the top four. Right now, if you shake it out, it would be Clemson, Wisconsin, Ohio State, Baylor, or I apologize, it would be LSU, Wisconsin, Ohio State, Baylor, Clemson, Oregon, and Oklahoma, Georgia. Do you think any of those like bottom four of Wisco, Baylor, Oregon, or Georgia would beat the teams they're playing? Maybe Georgia. Georgia. That's the only one. Chance, yeah. yeah. They could, but I, I guess then it's more about the four and the five being in. The six and the seven and the eight won't really matter. So what's your argument, you guys, then for wanting an 18? So for me at least, it seems like there's about six teams every year that are basically going to make the playoffs. It's going to be either Alabama, Georgia, LSU, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma. Those are the six teams that all the top recruits want to go to the country because those are the six that compete for the four spots in the playoffs. And I think if you, we expand to eight, you'd see a shift and more spread out recruiting overall and more than a team like Michigan has a chance to get more five stars, maybe some guys uh, want that like that want to come to Michigan but don't think they'll have an opportunity to play on the big stage of the college football playoffs would so then consider it and I think you would see more parity without all college football and not just which six teams of, are going to make the four spots it's a really good point I'm mixed up the eight game playoff one part of me wants to do it and make it more open um, but I also kind of appreciate the tradition of you know, having a Rose Bowl against the Pac-12 and the, and the Big Ten. I don't know. I, I kind of like that tradition of those bowl games. Um, I'm not sure how the logistics would work in that situation. Um, I can't really, I don't know, I, I don't really have like a firm opinion about what, what I think. One part of me thinks it'd be cool that, you know, you give more teams a shot, but then are you really giving more teams a shot because those top four teams are always so good? But then like Flat mentioned, the recruiting is maybe more widespread and the playing field is a little bit more even. Um, I would I would generally lean to say no, but it's not something I'd be totally opposed to. I just I don't feel strongly either way. My ideal scenario is only four major conferences, complete conference realignment, so we don't have um, a Pac-12 and a ACC that are so much weaker than like the SEC and Big Ten, and more just an evenly spread four conferences, winners of each conference. Make, uh, have an auto bid and then four wild card teams make it. Whoa! Just complete shake That's up everything. Wild. There are some. That would be my my ideal situation. There are people who think the NFL should be like that too. Kind of like in, well, kind of like, you just have sort of like baseball, but not really. Where you just have like two, two or something, you know, conferences, and then the top teams of each conference go. That way you don't have a team like the Eagles or the Cowboys who doesn't mm -hmm. deserve to make the playoffs go over a, a team like the Vikings, potentially or the Rams who probably deserves it more. That's never gonna happen though. That would, yeah. that would just totally destroy a lot of rivalries or, or at least like over time, I think rivalries, rival, rivalries would probably <laughs> probably deteriorate. Um, and I think that's a huge part of, of the history of the game and, and even the present day game. And I just don't see that happening. But it's interesting. It's an interesting proposal. Yeah, I guess it's more me just being a salty Michigan fan knowing we'll never sounds get like over it. that hump and we need something to happen so we can. <laughs>
Yeah. The only way I could see an eight team coming to pass is if every team in the country played one fear football game. No, yeah, I think you'd have to get rid of the the conference championships. Yeah, exactly. And maybe add a game to the regular season schedule, like another conference game to the regular season schedule. I think, obviously, TV providers would love Mm -hmm. adding games. I just think... Or just get get rid of, like, an out-of-conference game and replace it with a conference game. Yeah, I, I would... Want that yeah. some of the just cake schedules yeah. they play at the beginning are the necessary. Yeah. I just think it starts to become like difficult for the players as mm-hmm. well. Then they are student athletes, regardless of how much time one or the other may spend in the classroom. So are we though? Of course, yes. <laughs> Quick interlude of our club frisbee talents that we all bring to the table. And, but I think that. <laughs> If you're pushing for six, that would be about 16 games for the top teams, because right now you're at about 15. It'd be 15 if you got rid of the conference championship. Yeah, Yeah. if you get rid of the conference championship, I think it works. But as you brought up, Ringgold, tradition is something that people love. And I just think, like, the ideas that both of us have put forward are good ones that would take a long time to be put into effect. Yeah, that's reaching. Yeah, college football is just so rude in tradition. Um, alright, so do we want to transition into some uh, NBA takes? I'd love to. I think the first thing to bring up, since we're going to focus on it, has the East caught up to the West, do you think? No. I don't know if we could say it quite yet. Uh, Part of me wants to say it because the East does look pretty good, but also, I don't know, I'm not ready to say it. I mean, clearly Golden State is is not good at all. (laughs) But yes, they're uh, the worst. (laughs) What what a take. (laughs) 5-16 or something like 5-9, whatever. They're They're like 4-19. Yeah, they're they're terrible. (laughs) But I don't know if I'm ready to say that yet. I still think that, I mean, obviously you have the two LA teams. I think Utah and Denver are still pretty solid, and I think uh, Portland's not as good as I thought they'd be, but I still think they'll they'll get better. I don't know. I'm not ready to say it quite yet. Okay. I think either way, each of us took a division, and so we'll go one by one, going through different teams for Eastern Conference divisions, and give me some like some hot takes. You know, let's let's stir the pot a bit. Flat. What's one that you have? Uh, I guess I'll start with the Bucks. Mm-hmm. My hot take is they don't make the finals. Interesting. So. I think they might be peaking too early. I don't think they can keep this 21-3 and three stretch. 17 straight. Yeah, you know. 17 straight wins. I think they might be peaking too early. I think Ooh. I think your Sixers might make the finals. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. That's what I like to hear. It's a, it's a hot take, but... Yeah. Uh, I disagree with it, but... <laughs> I mean, that's a, I, I'd love that to happen. Yeah. It, it's a little hard to agree with when Giannis has gotten better than his yeah, MVP yeah. season. They did lose Brogdon, but... Like, yeah, Giannis has yeah. improved. Middleton was also out for a large portion of this, and they continued to roll. Yeah. So I think that's a, it's a good take. It makes you think. It would have to be a team that shuts down Giannis like Philly. Toronto is able to do. <laughs> Philly hasn't had their shot yet, right. is the long and short of it. Right. We haven't seen those two in, like, a tactical back-and-forth series, but it was clear that Kawhi Leonard took it upon himself to guard Giannis and yeah. take him out of the equation, leaving you with Eric Bledsoe, Chris Middleton, and... Brooke Lopez. George Hill. Yeah, Brooke <laughs> Lopez. Guys that are really good as the fourth or fifth banana. 
So no, I think that's a really interesting one. We'll have to see if, as you're saying, they can keep it up. This win streak is impressive, but... It's so early in the year, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We haven't even Christmas yet. Yeah, they, and that's true. They haven't really... I mean, they haven't played us yet. Um, we're the second seed right now. I think it'll be interesting, but... Um, I can get into mine uh, from the Atlantic Division. Uh, Tobias Harris is going to be an all-star. That's my take. Okay. Over Ben Simmons. Oh, um, wow. That's, that is... The three-point wow. corner specialist, Ben Simmons. <laughs> Best in league right now, 50%. I think Tobias Harris has really found his role with the Sixers. After a pretty inconsistent start to the year, there was a time point in time when he was shooting 21% from three, and I get that three-point shooters are streaky like that, but... I think he's really found a role in the offense and the ca as a catch and shoot kind of guy, but he's also been really aggressive toward the basket. And I think when you, I think he's really found a nice balance of, you know, I watch the Sixers and he, I mean, he's shooting shots from the perimeter. He's, you know, taking, you know, three, four threes a game, but he's also attacking. He's driving really well. He's averaging 19.8 points per game with a 49% field goal percentage. Um, he's been really consistent over the last month, and I think he's finally getting comfortable in this offense. And I think he makes an all star team this year. He's creeping into all-star all -star category right now. No, I, I, I agree with that, that he's creeping. I don't know if he'd make it over Simmons. I think Simmons is still an offensive threat for scoring at a decent clip. He's still a very good passer, and his defense is really, really going good. to get him on one of the two all-defensive teams, I yeah. think. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think it just comes down to injuries. If injuries happen, Tobias will make it. If everyone's healthy, I don't know if he does. You think yeah. the Sixers, though, could send three All-Stars? Ben, Tobias, and... Because you know Joel's obviously going to make the All-Star game. Mm -hmm. And, what, Ben and Tobias going? Like, that's kind of... Like, think about the other forwards that, that would mm -hmm. make it over Tobias. I mean, I don't know. Like, I would, like Jason Tatum is probably going to make it over... Like, I would put Jason Tatum over Tobias Harris right now. Yeah, I'd probably example. put Tatum over. Tatum. It probably helps. Jimmy but, Butler, maybe? Oh, yeah, I'd put Butler. Like, I don't know. I'd put Butler and another guy from that Heat team over, Tobias. So I just don't know. Team, actually. So I just don't know if, uh, who, Duncan Robinson? No. <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think the Sixers would send three. I think Tobias makes it over, over Ben, and I think Tobias and Joel are all-stars this year. Yeah. The guy that I would put over Tobias is Bam Adebayo, and I would say that Bam Adebayo is the closest thing we've seen to peak Draymond since peak Draymond. Oh. Bam Adebayo is 10th in the league in rebounding. He's tied for third in screen assists when he screens guys who make a direct field goal off of that, and he's fourth for bigs in deflections, so he's doing a lot. He's an athletic guy. Coming out of Kentucky, I really didn't have a huge ceiling for him. I thought he was kind of limited. Holy smokes, he's blown past that with what he does. He has a good net rating. He has good defensive numbers, which if you're going to be a Draymond clone, you need. Yeah. That's what makes him good. Adebayo has a similar build, and he's maybe a little more athletic vertically than Draymond. Where his big step has been this season, because last year he was a guy who'd lob it up to or maybe get some like around-the-basket stuff, the Heat are playing him as one of their secondary or tertiary like playmakers. He'll stand there at the high post and hit cutters or make passes where he does get doubled or where a guy rotates over that are high level. These are the things that Draymond did to unlock that team, to get guys like Steph and Clay to where they were, is he helped their games open up. And he's doing the same thing for a Heat team. The outside Butler, they have Hero, they have none. 
Duncan Robinson, yeah. as you young, mentioned. Really young. Young, but they have guys who, if they have space, can start to fill it up. Yeah. Adebayo is the second star that the Heat thought about either like trading some guys for Chris Paul or trading for Blake Griffin. You'd hear those rumors. No, they haven't. Like, this is a guy who, at 22, is making a very impressive leap to be that not a huge stats guy on the box score, but when you dig into it, he is a truly impactful guy. The only thing missing compared to Draymond is Draymond had about three years of shooting 37% from three. Yeah. If Adebayo does that, then he's probably as good. Yeah, he's probably an all-star if he does that. I think he's an all-star anyway. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Can't disagree with what you said. I mean, it's, it's pretty yeah. sound. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Blake Griffin getting tra- traded. Mm-hmm. That's actually my hot take for the Pistons. Right. Oh no! I, well, my take is I think either Drummond or Blake get traded, and we actually blow the bottom out of this thing and tank. Because we've had one of the worst. <laughs> oh, we've had one of the the worst. Uh, well, I guess best schedules for Pistons because we played nobody so far and still aren't doing great. <laughs> yeah. And our schedule gets so much harder and there's no way that we're going to be winning. And I think we finally tank. And we, I think Blake might get traded with someone like the Trailblazers could use another guy to make a playoff push. Or I don't know who another team. It's a lot of money be. for them to inherit. Yeah, it is. But he's got, what, I think two years and an option left on the deal. He's so taking the option. Which, yeah, also. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I think if the Trailblazers are a team that are win-now mode, they might be desperate enough to make the deal. Or there's plenty of teams that could use a guy like Drummond, even with his contract. But he's also... Is he a contractor or does he have one more? I'm not exactly sure. He's getting close. Yeah. I think Atlanta could use Drummond. Yeah, a team like Atlanta could definitely use Drummond. And... Yeah, I think we finally trade one of those guys at least. Mm. If Portland takes and that cap situation that they have going on is yeah, paying Whiteside twenty two million the worst. Oh <laughs> yeah. Based on what they're paying. We, no, we would have to take on Whiteside, but he's on a contract year. But even with McCollum and Lillard, yeah. basically locked up ninety plus million a year to Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, Blake Griffin. I think that's a really weak push for the seven seed. <laughs> yeah. Well, you guys will like what I have to say then. I have uh, my Celtics hot take. I have them trading for Hassan Whiteside or Miles Turner. Wow. Uh, I think the Celtics need to get bigger. Um, I don't think that Enos and Daniel Tice are doing <laughs> doing well enough right now. Um, Celtics are a really good pick and roll team, uh, as you can see. But I think they could really benefit from a scorer like Whiteside who's averaging, I think, uh, 16-ish per game, or a really good defender like Turner. Um, it would be a lot of money for Whiteside, as we mentioned earlier, so I think Turner could be more viable. Um, Turner's only making like oh, a little over $2 million, whereas Whiteside is making $22 million. Um, I could see the Celtics giving up one of those centers to Indiana and a first-round and a second-round pick or something like that, but I think the Celtics would definitely benefit from a larger person in the middle, especially with teams in the East like, you know, Milwaukee and and Philly who are definitely big and I don't know. It's hot, but Yeah. Yeah, very hot. I think it's a hot take that any playoff team with a smart front office would ever consider letting Whiteside in their building. <laughs> I think he's such a net negative to your program in terms of him being a selfish player and playing basketball selfishly. I Look, if, if Indiana decides they're giving up Turner, 
they're going to get much better offers than Daniel Tyson, a first-round pick. <laughs> yeah, Turner is 23. He's going to be making in the next few years. He, he got signed to a four-year, I think, $90 million contract extension, which will kick in in a year or two. Mm-hmm. That's pretty underpaid. If you think he's going to be a guy that he's, he led the league in blocks or was close yeah. the past few years, if his offense ever gets up to like a 16-point clip, you have like a second banana. That's the thing. He doesn't score, good. though. And that is a deficiency in his game. We'll have to see. He is about four years in the league. You start to become who you are. And he averages well, like well under ten points per game. I don't know. I feel like as a center like that, you want at least a double double average. It would be nice. So I mean, I think the Celtics would have to give up a lot more for Turner. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to move. I didn't realize he was locked up for another four years at that deal. So yeah, you're definitely right about that. You'd have to move a guy like Smart, and I don't think they'd want to do that. Yeah, he's a good defender. I yeah. think that kind of goes away from their identity. Yeah, well, it's true about hot takes. That's true. <laughs> I think on the topic of trades, Davis Bertans for the Wizards. You guys ever uh, ever heard of this guy? Mm-mm. Heard the name, don't know much about him. Yeah. Not only is he the Wizards' second best player, but he's the best trade asset they have by a mile and might be the best trade asset in the NBA right now. So there's a guy, he was on the Spurs. The Spurs decided not to re-sign him because they thought that Marcus Morris was going to sign with them. <laughs> and Marcus then Morris <laughs> switches course, goes to the Knicks. Bertans has already signed with the Wizards by then. Bertans isn't a young guy. He's about 27. He's from Europe. And he is potentially one of the best shooters in the NBA right now from three. He is eighth in three-point attempts, and he is sixth in three-point percentage. No one else in the top eight of attempts, or nobody else in the top eight of like percentage shoots more than six. He's shooting eight and a half threes a game, and he's the sixth best shooter. He's gunning. He has a very nice stroke. He's seven feet, so it's hard to block his shots. Yeah, he's a very tall guy. Tall, sort of lanky guy. He doesn't do a huge amount on defense. He, he scores a bit on offense. I think he is probably more valuable than Kevin Love. And Kevin Love's name has been floated around a lot. Yeah. Cleveland like it always is. <laughs> it is because he chose to stay after his two co-stars left, and I, I don't think he may have realized how low that Cavs team would get. <laughs> but I think a team like Utah, Portland, or Boston, ones we mentioned as needing a big, they could offer a first-round pick and get better value for Bertans because he's not going to demand shots in the way that Love or Whiteside or even potentially Turner would. Griffin definitely would want shots yeah. from a team like Portland. But I think Bertans is easily the only thing that the Wizards can use to get young talent back. They have John Wall locked up at should be about $43 million by the end oh of his contract. Beal has decided to stay there. Otherwise, they really don't have a lot of young talent. Thomas Bryant, Mo Wagner, they're fun. We have Mo. <laughs> Will they ever contribute to a, a winning team? To be determined. <laughs> Their wings are pretty bad. They gave up Kelly Oubre. And he's, Porter's yeah. yeah. To be fair, Porter's had his bad season. Oubre has not. Oubre yeah. has had a very nice season with the Suns. But I, I really think the Bretons, for one, I think they'd be stupid not to trade him. Mm-hmm. But if he gets traded, he's going to really help our team. Yeah, that's fair. You mentioned the Cavs a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. My Sadly. take <laughs> is John Beeline in his tenure 
will win a playoff series. Okay. That, that's <laughs> actually hot. a fairly hot take. <laughs> yeah, it's say. hot. I think that right right now the veterans are just aren't about beeline style. He's very uh, he's been in the college game for decades and has kind of brought that to this Cav team and he's very much about the fundamentals and guys who have been in the league for 10 years just their egos are too big for John Beeline and but those guys won't be there in 5 years and I think the young core and they'll have another lotto pick this year and probably next year and then they can start to build a young core under Beeline. Beeline was really good at player development at Michigan and I think year 4, year 5 they can start making a playoff push, maybe even winning a series. Beeline teams are known to be under the radar and overperform, so. The hottest take of it is that he makes it five years, I think. Yeah, I think he has a four or five year contract, but. Yeah, but the turnover, I mean, Dan Gilbert as the owner has proven to be a fickle and sometimes emotional mm -hmm. owner based on writing a letter in Comic Sans. Producing that. I think you have a lot of like rational points on that. I'm really curious who you guys think are the guys in Cleveland that are talking talking behind the back of their coach. Because it didn't come out in some yeah. articles, some unnamed sources on the team are saying guys aren't listening. I Tristan thought it was Tristan Thompson, but he said it wasn't. So. Yeah, but Tristan then he Thompson in an article. The other day. Yeah, Tristan Thompson in an article was saying that like earlier in the season, you know, like Beeline's like pushing me. That kind of leaves guys like Kevin Love, yeah, Jordan Kevin Clarkson, yeah. are some of the vets there that Clarkson has had his, his weird moments in his career. He's, he's no one special, but he does these really entertaining things every now and then. Like when he dunked on someone, he said that the reason he did was Kobe told him to stop going to the rim like a light skin. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's why he jammed on him. He, he has just really funny moments. I, yeah, I think Beeline's going to be a great coach. The hot take is that he's going to be able to ride out just the trash heap of Cleveland. Yeah. And make them into something good. So, yeah, I, I think that's going to be the hard one for him, yeah. Yeah, so um, I'll get into my, my next take with the Raptors. Toronto is not going to miss Kawhi. Really? Yep. Wow. It's hot. What? <laughs> what? So How can you say that? Here's why, here's why I say that. And obviously they're grateful that he brought them a championship. But I'm saying, and I guess what, I'm, what I mean by this is the impact of Kawhi leaving is not going to be nearly as significant as people think it is. Um, and this team is still good. I've been saying it all year, you guys remember. Toronto has the talent to get back to the Eastern Conference Finals, and I think that they'll beat Milwaukee to get there. Oh, wow. So... Hmm. Kawhi leaving has, has allowed a guy like Pascal Siakam to blossom into one of the league's premier power forwards. He's scoring 24 points per game. Marcus Gasol is still playing good defense at a high level, and Kyle Lowry is averaging 19 points per game. That's five more than he did last year. Fred Van Vliet is averaging 18 points per game and shooting almost 40% from three. It's been impressive. With Serge Ibaka back and healthy, their bench is still decent. Norman Powell is averaging 13 points per game this year. He's averaging 13 points per game this year. It's weird. Yes. So I don't know how sustainable that is. It is not sustainable. But my point is, Kawhi leaving has allowed other young players to come into their own in Toronto. I think that they could end up making some, you know, making a push in the playoffs. I think Toronto is still good. I think everyone thought that they were going to be maybe a six or a seven seed with with uh, Kawhi leaving. But this is a team that has obviously a ton of playoff experience. They have a ton of championship experience. Um, I think they're still there. I think they're still right at the top of the East. 
Yeah, I can't agree with that. That's fine. Um, Show about takes. Ibaka may be back and healthy, but he's playing pretty badly. He hasn't been hitting his like usual mid-range, and he's been a little slow on defense. Norman Powell is about the least reliable guy in the NBA. He, he's one of the more athletic guards for his like he's not like a six four guy and not like a tall six four. He can throw down on guys, he can create shots, but you're more likely to find like a shiny Pokemon than for Norman Powell to be a consistent guy. Well the odds of that are like one in like five hundred maybe or one yeah. in eight hundred. Maybe it's like one saying. in a thousand, I don't know. It, it's, <laughs> you are not gonna find that with Powell. He's too up and down. I don't know if I see Siakam as being a guy who can carry yet because that's what Kawhi did. Right. Kawhi was a guy who carried them. Yeah. There were games in the playoffs where nobody else played well until like Van Vliet had his hot streak. Lowry had some okay shots. He wasn't amazing either. He had his moments, but... Kawhi carried yeah. them on his back up that mountain. Do you think Siakam can do that? Um, No, but I don't think he has to is my point. I don't, okay. think he, I don't think he has to. I don't think he has to carry them. I think you have other guys performing at a high level, a fairly high level. Do you think that Van Vliet averaging 18 is sustainable over the course of a season? I think that lowers to 14-ish, which is still good for Van Vliet. Yes. But so you'd argue that Toronto's overperforming right now? Yes. I think with a good coach like Nurse, it's not surprising they're overperforming. No, yeah. And especially early in the season, when there was a huge amount of league turnover, the fact that they can bring in some continuity. Right, they have con- a lot of continuity. They lost Leonard. Danny and Green. Danny Green, and they brought in Patrick McCaw, and I guess you could say they brought in OG Ananobi because he was yeah, so injured yeah. last year, so they, they get to bring him back. I wouldn't say it's that they're overperforming. I just think it would be a huge overperformance for them to go to the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, yeah, it would be. Well, we'll see what happens. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I'm more of a, a sad note. We've had some more, like, upbeat, like, this team's really good. I think a, a hot take is that Malik Monk is a really bad draft bust. Oh, I was so high on him, bro. That's, yeah. I, I love the Malik Monk. I really did, too. Yeah, I wanted the Pistons. I was hoping he was going to follow the Pistons. Uh-huh, I thought we were going to take he was a pick away, but. He was electric. Like, he broke the Kentucky freshman scoring record. He had 47 or so in that game against uh, North Carolina. He won the Jerry West Award his one year, which is for the best shooting guard. He was really good. He was able to quickly get around screens. He, he had no fear in terms of shot making. His NBA profile just really isn't good enough so yeah. far. You think he is what he is at this point? I think he is what he is, and that's a problem, given that he was supposed to be at best like Lou Williams, mm-hmm. and right now not even his scoring is that good. Like He's shooting about four threes a game at 26%. He, he's not hitting anything. Um, he's shooting a free throw a game. He's playing 20 minutes a game, and his defensive numbers, which were piss poor when he came into the league are not good still. I I think the fact that he's been buried on that bench has hurt him. He should have gotten more chances to play. I think the Hornets were stuck in the death loop of we have Kemba Walker, we need to make the playoffs. They were so mediocre. But I think at this point Monk is a small 6'3 guard who can't really score and can't defend, so what role does he have? Yeah, He can dunk. You're right. He can dunk. He hit a game winner this year. But I don't even think another team's going to take a flyer on him, is the thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, he might be in Europe in a year or two. <laughs> Which is a bummer. Yeah. Because he was fun. But yeah, speaking of guys underperforming, my hot take for the Bulls is that none of their young core becomes superstars. So none of... Cody White, uh, yeah, Cody White Carter, Wendell Carter, uh, Lowry Markkinen. Oh, uh, yeah, Markkinen. Um, yeah, that's about it. Levine's a little too old to be in the young core. Yeah. Okay, so none of those three. And okay. I think they're going to be a perennial average team, like a sort of like a Pistons-type team until they decide to blow it up again. Yeah. I don't see the potential for them to be a top of the Eastern Conference team years to come. Unless they get someone really good in the draft next year, but... Yeah, no, I, just looking at that roster, like, they paid a lot for Levine. And Levine yeah. has done what like he's, he's a supposed good to. player, but... Yeah, I think that Wendell Carter has had a bit of a fouling problem, mm-hmm. and so he hasn't been able to get into a rhythm. I don't know if him not fouling as much is going to turn him into, like, Al Horford light, like mm-hmm. people probably be... Markinen, I think, is the one who's really had a confusing start to the season. He had some injury problems. I think it was his elbow this season, though it might have been last season he had an elbow issue. He's a guy who dunks a lot more than I ever thought he would. He shoots a lot of threes. He, he's able to, he's just the OA defense. He lets anyone yeah. buy him, but I, I mean, he's probably the best shot. Yeah. Kobe White is fun, but I mean Kobe White is a loose cannon six man guy at peak. I mm-hmm. think it would have to be Markinen, and so I don't know. I'm a little higher on Markinen. Yeah, than you are, uh, he's, but, he, he has potential, but I don't see him becoming a superstar in the league. Yeah, or a guy that can carry them to the top of the East. Yeah, I don't either. So uh, I'll get into my take with uh, Brooklyn. Ooh, shoot. Cole, uh, not Cole. Kyrie Irving will not play all four years of his contract in Brooklyn. Wow. Okay. That's hot, right? But look, we know we know get that Kyrie Irving is a little bit of a he's an interesting character. You can say he's weird. He yeah. Oh, okay, I wasn't gonna say the W word, but yeah, he's he's a little weird. Um, we've seen his social media posts. He clearly, you know, uh, feels the pressure of playing in the NBA, I guess. He's shown discontent with teammates, whatever. Something about Kyrie in Brooklyn just doesn't seem right. I know that he wants to play with Kevin Durant, but I don't know. I feel like something bad is going to come up, and I think he's going to try to force his way out of there, um, kind of like he did with Boston, kind of like he when he was unhappy. I don't know. I, I just the, the fit just doesn't seem right to me, so I think he ends up getting traded somewhere else, whether that's them trading him or him demanding a trade. I don't think that relationship is going to work out. He retires. <laughs> really? <laughs> he, he talked about, like, uh, I don't need to play basketball. Like, he's been quoted saying that. And I wouldn't be surprised if he just straight up quit after, like, two or three years. Like, if he, if he doesn't seem – if Brooklyn isn't a good fit, that's his third team in however many years, I think he's like, all right, if this isn't a fit – no one's gonna be a fit. I'm out. That would fall under this this hot yeah. take that he, I said he wasn't wasn't gonna play all four years of his contract in Brooklyn. He's kind of like a less violent Antonio Brown. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah. Antonio Brown is yeah, he has a whole host of issues. He's an unsavory person. Kyrie's just a little odd. Yes. and I think he he really enjoys being odd. I think for one Durant. I anticipate him coming back to at least 80% health. I think he's a hard enough worker. He's that kind of guy who really wants his life to be about basketball right now. 
I, I don't think Kyrie would leave. I don't think anyone would want to trade for him if it would be his fourth team in about six years. I think that even if Brooklyn shopped him, nobody would take, or if they did, it would be a very poor fit. Like, you don't think he has value at all? I think he has value. I think small market teams would have to take a flyer. Yeah, like, they'd be like so Detroit. Stupid, yeah. Detroit. Yeah, Detroit, Detroit, Detroit will trade Detroit. Like Detroit. Oh. Detroit or trade Blake and then trade for Kawhi. <laughs> <laughs> or, or Kyrie. Imagine Kyrie. Kyrie in Detroit. Oh, I, he, he would, would hate it. So <laughs> he would fake at least two inches. <laughs> and he would, he would just complain about the snow and how the government was making it this cold. About, yeah, no. What about a random team like Memphis or something like that? Oh, <laughs> God. Kyrie. Yeah. Kyrie and Job. Uh, that would be, be too weird. I think in the idea of a guy not really being the future for his team, Jabari Parker I don't think is a piece for the Hawks in the future. No. No. Now, he, remember, pre-draft. Duke great. Yeah, he was Duke. But even before that, he made a Sports Illustrated cover back when he was playing at Simeon, the same high school that Derrick Rose played at. He has been thought of it for most of like his young career up until I'd say the past three years as like a young star in the making. But he's torn an ACL in each knee, which hurt like his potential. It hurts like his continuity and consistency because athletically he's pretty close to where he was before this season. But the his stats of sixteen points, six boards, and one and a half steals look nice. They're a bit of fool's gold. Here's why. 44% of his shots are coming at the rim. So almost half of the ones he's taking are just, like, layups or dunks. And he's an aggressive, angry dunker. He dunks the hell out of the ball anytime he can. But he's only shooting 27% from three. That doesn't give him a huge ceiling in the modern NBA. And he, again, is not a great defender. Looking at his age, he's 24, and he's already bounced around about, like, four or five teams. I think he's going to continue to be a guy that, like, he'll, you know, get, like, a one- or two-year deal. He'll keep doing that. But if you're relying on a guy who just angrily dunks, which when Trey Young is your passer, I think any big guy can do that. Mm -hmm. He will find you for open cuts, and just because Jabari jumps a little higher than the others doesn't make him the kind of fit that Atlanta would want. He's a worse John Collins, and Collins is going to be back soon. Mm -hmm. And then what, what is Parker's value? Yeah, I think a hot, point. I think a hotter take would have been that he is a part of the Hawks' future. Yeah, I don't, I couldn't talk myself into that. <laughs> I, I thought about it a bit. That Hawks team is just devoid of talent outside of Young. I heard what about Collins. I I think Collins is a guy that you can't really win with because he doesn't provide enough defense. Oh, he needs to get better defense. And he, yeah. he shoots the three okay, but he doesn't really create for himself either. So he is really like your support star, mm -hmm. and Trey Young needs a second banana who, like, can handle the rock and get to the rim. Yeah, Collins averaged, like, 18 last year. I just don't see it. Yeah. All right, round our last takes. Uh, yeah, so I got the Pacers to round out the Central. My take is when Oladipo and Brogdon are healthy in the backcourt, they make a playoff push and potentially upset a team in a playoff series. I think that backcourt defensively is one of the best in the East, mm -hmm. and with Miles Turner also one of the best rim protectors in the NBA, I think that team, and then TJ Warren can get a bucket if he needs to. I think that's a solid team who could cause trouble in the playoffs. 
if they make a run because they've gone off to a slow start this year. But when everyone's healthy, I think they could be a solid team. They could be dangerous, like you said, if that if that backcourt is you know playing together and healthy. I just don't see them being nearly as good as you know four, probably four or five other teams in the East. You know, I think Milwaukee, Philly, Boston, Miami, and Toronto are probably all better. Oh yeah. But I don't know, man. I mean, if they start playing well together, you know that you're like you mentioned that backcourt could do some damage. I just don't see it happening. I think other than Philly, a healthy peaking Indiana might be the second worst matchup for Milwaukee actually, because they have two really good guards as you mentioned. Sabonis is a scorer, yeah, that's true. and they can create a wall. They have a lot of other guys like the Holiday brothers are playing well for yeah. them. Doug McDermott is actually hitting shots as you mentioned. T.J. Warren, they have the same kind of depth, but they can also have guys who can just hack Giannis and get fouls instead of the, they're like better players fouling out. I think it's a pretty good take. Yeah, uh, so I'll move on to my last one. This is for the uh, the New York Knicks. This was a tough one to do. Yeah, My take is that I will have kids before the Knicks make their next playoff. <laughs> this organization is so bad. It's so incompetent. Uh, whether it's James Dolan or bad draft after bad draft, this once prominent basketball city will have nothing to look forward to anytime soon. Sure, we can say, you know, we can see RJ Barrett. He's had his moments. Uh, he's having a solid rookie season, but and here's, I think, the bigger issue. New York just isn't an attractive free agent destination anymore. This team, like, if you think about it, so they got Julius Randle in the offseason. They got Marcus Morris. Uh, what, Taj, they got him too, I think. But those aren't the big-name free agents that you're talking about, especially in a league with, like the NBA where one player can make such a difference. When you have a young and promising star like Chris Sosperzing is wanting to trade his way out of New York, keep in mind, New York is like a great basketball town. You're playing in the garden. I think that is a serious issue that speaks to um, you know, just how bad that franchise is. Um, I don't think, I honestly think I'm going to have kids before the Knicks make the playoffs, and I don't plan on having kids for another 10 years. That was the next part yeah, of the I'll, I'll <laughs> No, so I'm not having kids anytime soon. Um, I'm 20. Sorry, Amanda. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> hopefully not until yeah, 10 years down the line. So yeah. that, that's my next take. That's a long, a long take for the next. I, I would hope for RJ that he doesn't have to wallow for 10 plus years. He's a fun player. Yeah. Did you brush Jacobs? <laughs> if he ever gets off the bench yeah. for, <laughs> for the Westchester Knicks, there's a team that maybe. Oh, he's playing in the G League now? Yeah. yeah. He's been there like all um, year. I didn't know that. Oh, man. Yeah, my last take is about a potential future defensive player of the year candidate on the Magic. And that is Mark Jonathan Fultz. Isaac. Marco Fultz. <laughs> Fultz had been fun. And I think Fultz would have been the easy, like, oh, Fultz might actually be good. Jonathan Isaac is leading the league in blocks at 2.7. He also has 1.2 steals. He can guard 1 through 5. He's a pretty lanky but fluid guy. And he's seven feet tall. Like he's about a oh, six right. eleven seven foot. Like, yeah, tall. he's very tall. He's like a six nine guy. No, he actually has like a little bit more height. He shoots the three ball at thirty three percent, which is nice for his offense. Though again, his defense is what I really want to focus on. He is a guy that deters you at the rim. He can stick with you on pick and roll, and he does a lot of very interesting stuff. That, I mean, you saw a guy like Gobert. He has a limited offensive game, but he has very clear value on the defensive end. Even if Isaac stays, a guy who, right now, he's only 22, and he's leading the league in blocks through about 20-some. The thing that sprung him was the fact that Orlando used to just have such a cluttered rotation. It sucks to say, but Vucevic having an ankle injury, 
having like other guys like Aminu be out, forcing Gordon to go to the wing. It's opened it up for him, and I think Isaac should definitely stick as their small forward of the future and can be a guy who, if they smartly put him in power forward, can be a defensive player of the year candidate. Mm. Interesting, for sure. Uh, so we got a lot of hot takes in there. Let's uh, transition into some baseball, shall we? Finish out with some free agency talk. Money got thrown around. Yeah. Money got thrown around a lot. Oh my God. Yeah, so uh, I'll start. I'm glad free agency is happening now. I mean, and what I mean by that is it took so long for freaking Harper and Machado to sign. They didn't sign until like probably what was in March. Like it was like mm-hmm. spring training time. Yeah, so that sucked. I'm, so I'm glad that it's happening sooner. Um, let's just talk about how, how much of a genius that Scott Boris is. Oh, yeah. This guy, first of all, makes, you know, like $50 million a year based, you know, from, from all of his, all of his you know, clients. He got Strasburg signed first for $245 million, which is a solid deal. You know, you get that deal. And then he goes, oh, you know what? Garrett Cole is so much better than Strasburg and, has, and then, get, then gets the Yankees to pay $324 million for this guy. <laughs> he gets Strasburg signed. And then and then he leverages that to get Cole signed. Like that is so smart. Um, good for Garrett Cole. I'm glad he's out of Houston. Those cheaters. But um, <laughs> my major issue is that I think Rendon is pretty underpaid. Uh, and I've talked about on the show how how much how underrated I think he is. Mm-hmm. This man I mentioned has had four six plus four seasons in his career. And when you're a free agent in your twenties, I think you should get paid more than two hundred forty five million. Um, and I know that's like a lot to you and me because we're just you know average people. We're college students, so two hundred forty-five college million. athletes. College athletes. Two hundred forty-five sounds like a ton of money, mm-hmm. but if we're valuing one more at ten million, which is about what the market dictates, I think he's super underpaid, and I think that contract is kind of a steal for LA. I mean, do you think it at all puts LA towards the playoffs? I think it's a step in the right direction, but they've got a long way to go. They have no pitching. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. But that's. The Trout, Rendon, Otani, part of the order. That's fine. That's dangerous. It's a tough. It's a tough middle of the lineup. I just still don't see LA as like a serious contender. Uh, I they need starting pitching. They badly. they they need pitching. Uh, the AL is still pretty good. Um, pretty pretty deep. Much better than the NL. So uh, it's definitely a step in the right direction for them. But they're going to need to draft some young talent or, or sign you know spend more money. But yeah, I saw a tweet. I was like. That's back-to-back home runs for Trout, Rendon, and Otani. The Angels have cut the lead to the Astros, 10 to 4. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally. I think there are a few interesting smaller teams because we mentioned a little bit about Cole. Just to quickly touch on Boris, the fact that Scott Boris is on the same name recognition as a guy like Rich Paul proves just how colossal yeah. of an agent he is. Oh, yeah, dude. Which, the fact that he can name a sports agent shows how good you are. Clutch clutch sports and Boris. Yeah. (laughs) But I think two teams have made some good under-the-radar moves are the White Sox and the Braves. The White Sox brought in Yasmani Grandal, a good good all-star level catcher. He can give them more offense. They brought back Jose Abreu, who's a a good player. He's he's nothing special. Getting up there, but he's solid. Yeah, he's thirty. He's about thirty or thirty-two, which kind of surprised me. Mm-hmm. I thought he was younger. He's but they also have like a young sort of up and coming pitching core oh, yeah. that they can do. They have um, Tim Anderson. Mm-hmm. Is that Tim Anderson's a good player? I think they can be a fun sort of team that oh, can yeah. make a little bit of noise. The Braves adding Cole Hamels and Will Smith to their pitching. Don't I think me. really, <laughs> yeah. The, they you guys should have paid for Hamels. The Phillies should. I think it shores up pitching as one of their like. Lower spots. Yeah, it's just going to be interesting what they do with Donaldson. 
Yeah. Uh, the Braves, man, I just want to talk about how well that franchise is run and how I wish the Phillies could be run like that. The Phillies so, had a good offseason. So the Braves, okay, the Braves paid Cole Hamels $18 million a year. That's a lot. It's a one-year deal, though, so how bad can it really be? They signed Will Smith, a really good relief pitcher from San Francisco. I just think that the Braves are, at this point, just adding to an already extremely talented roster. They're not even filling holes or patching. They're just adding more depth to their roster that's already good. All of their pitching prospects, all of their, sorry, most of their major prospects are pitching prospects. So now they're going to have a lineup that consists of Mike Soroka, who's had a really good year, Max Fried, who's underrated, and Cole Hamels, and then maybe a couple younger guys. They still have an incredibly young team, and Freddie Freeman, who's turning 30, is going to be their oldest player. <laughs> and he's 30. And he's one of the best first basemen in the league, if not the best. He's pr- and he's, yeah, exactly. So that team is, is really good, and they're going to run that division, I think, for a long time. Yeah. Um, regarding Josh Donaldson, this is a guy that's also pretty underrated, and the Braves got a really good year from him, like a really good. He put up over six war. I think Josh Donaldson is going to go to Washington. Um, I Obviously, Washington has a, a void at third base, and they, you know, they can have. I mean, they're already pressed for money. That's but what I, I was gonna say. Uh, so they can pay. that's the thing. They're already really up against it, and and their owners, the learners, like clearly didn't want to retain both Strasburg and Rendon. So they can get Donaldson on like a two-year deal with a third-year option, maybe you know, thirty million-ish, twenty-five million a year. I think they would do it. Um, but Josh Donaldson, man, he can. That guy can still play ball, and he's yeah. gonna get a nice contract for himself. I've, I've seen takes that uh, Braves might trade for Chris Bryant. Mm, I was gonna mention that. Yeah, too. <laughs> yeah and like, oh, uh, they have a ton of young pro. Like the Braves, like I mentioned, have so many young prospects. I, I think that they actually do end up making that trade and, and wow. going for it. Chris Bryant, let's talk about him. I mean, he took the league by storm. He had, I think, three six-war seasons in his first three years. Obviously, that was some injuries. But I think Bryant can still play. Oh, for sure. He yeah. can still he's play at a really high level. Injured lately, but. Yeah, he's just been injured. I don't know. I think Chicago is not heading in the right direction. Um, I could easily see that happening. Yeah, so. that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. And Yankees signing Cole was the move that needed to happen. They were mm-hmm. they're they're Garrett Cole away from winning World Series and now they're the overwhelming favorites. And they yeah. took it from the rival. Yeah. They took him from the Astros yeah. which directly switched the balance. Yeah. I wanted to touch Ron, you made an interesting point about the White Sox. That team is going to be really good. Oh. They they're they, turning up, Indians turning down. Yeah, they're I agree. And and they're and I honestly think that the Twins this year was kind of a fluke. They had four one-year contracts that really helped yeah, them out. 101 games. I don't know how. <laughs> I don't, exactly. Like I mean, CJ Crona. They had a you know a couple guys like that. Um, I think the White Sox are, are really built well. Um, you you have guys like Lucas Giolito coming into their own. You have a decent core of Abreu and Anderson, and then you have a bunch of young prospects. Um, uh, what's that guy's name? I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not remembering his name oh, right yeah, now. Um, but they have a bunch of young talent. I don't know, that's a franchise that's heading in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't even want to bring up the Mariners. We haven't done anything. and Or no, we traded our catcher away to the Brewers. But then... Um, how are the how are the Tigers doing? They're doing anything? Um, Casey signed, Mize. Well, I mean, we have Casey Mize in the minors, but we signed Austin Romine from the Yankees. Oh, catcher. Yeah. And so not so. Um, yeah, we're we might win. Yeah, what, a, what forty games again next year? And what about the Phillies? 
Philly signed Didi. Oh yeah, got Zach Wheeler. Yeah. Okay. Here's here's my issue with the Phillies. The Phillies are now almost at the luxury tax. They're about six million dollars away, and they're and they're basically paying for at most, in my opinion, 88, 89 wins. So wow. so I really think that they're going to start needing, unless John Middleton, who I am mixed about him, he said he wants to spend stupid money, but now he's saying he doesn't want to go into the luxury tax, so it's really interesting what he's going to actually do. I want him to go into the tax, granted it's not my money. If the Phillies decide to go <laughs> into the luxury tax, I think that it would, I mean, they could really become a, you know, a, a good team going forward. I just don't think they're going to do it. Um, I like the Didi Gregorius signing. He wants something to prove, and I think he's going to reunite with Joe Girardi. And I also like the Wheeler signing. I think that if Wheeler averages about three and a half war over the course of the five-year deal, it'll be well worth it, and I think he still has potential. Um, I just think that we're in a really tough division, and I think that the, the Braves are in a much better position with more money to spend on free agents with a much better young core, and I think that you can also say the same thing about the Nationals because they're still young. Um, I see the Phillies getting a wild card at max, and it's really annoying because we're paying a lot of money for that. Yeah. So that's my issue. But, I mean, yeah, it's the, the signings are interesting, and they're fun, and I like the Gregorius signing. But uh, j- just to clarify earlier, Eloy Jimenez was the uh, young young player I was thinking gotcha. of, uh, and Yohan Moncada is also another infield. So they could really have an elite yeah, infield coming out in the White Sox with Tim Anderson. And then Michael Kopech, Giolito, mm-hmm. Ronaldo Lopez. That's a g- good like, potential top three pitcher. Yeah, Kopech's healthy now. I think yeah. Yeah, I think he had surgery. So mm-hmm. that and, and Giolito, I think the White Sox are in a prime position moving forward. Yeah, yeah. And Tigers won't win a playoff <laughs> series until I have kids. Is that your Yeah, how soon is that? Um, 20 years. 20 wow. years? <laughs> You're going to wait till you're 40? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for tuning in for another episode of Takeover. Have a happy holidays. This has been Rowan Ken. Sam Ringgold. Ryan Flattery. Catch you on the flip side. I'm single. <laughs> <laughs>